back to Future Cities podcast. My name is Charlene Green. I am a research coordinator at Georgia State University's Urban Studies Institute. And it is my first time hosting this podcast. This week, we are going to be talking about nature-based solutions and green infrastructure for non-experts. We've talked a lot about green infrastructure and nature-based solutions on this podcast, including on the last episode. Um, but today, we're going to try and bring it a little bit more to the personal level and you know, outside of disciplines that work very heavily in these areas. Today, I have Elizabeth Cook and Claire Cooper with me. You mind introducing yourselves? Hi, I'm Claire Cooper. I'm a PhD student at Durham University in the UK. My PhD examines how nature-based solutions are distributed across um, Europe and how the characteristics of those interventions relate to social and health inequality. Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Cook. I'm an assistant professor in the environmental science department at Barnard College in New York City. I'm an ecosystem ecologist by training and my work focuses in cities and particularly on the future of cities. So I use a systems perspective to work with academic and non-academic teams to study how cities can be more resilient in the future. And I'm also the co-director of uh, Natura, which is the nature-based solutions for urban resilience in the Anthropocene, which is a global network of networks in which we're bringing together diverse practitioners and academics to discuss and synthesize nature-based solutions and their impacts on resilience in cities with different social and biophysical contexts. And Claire and Charlene are also both part of that network. Excellent. So for people who have not listened to previous episodes of Future Cities that talk about green infrastructure and nature-based solutions, or people who want a quick refresher, would you mind giving a quick summary of what those terms mean? So a nature-based solution is whereby we're using or managing urban nature to create multifunctional ecosystems that provide a host of different benefits in terms of regulating air quality, flooding, but provide opportunities for food growing and natural resources, but then also create habitat and improve genetic biodiversity of those those ecosystems, as well as providing opportunities for recreation and improving physical and mental health. So within that context, there can be anything from an urban park to a green corridor or an allotment or a blue space such as wetlands, fens, coastal areas. But there can also be areas that have been rewilded such as derelict plots or even our own backyards and our gardens. You know, grey spaces close by where we live that have been transformed using either um, opportunities for food growing, but also um, rewilding and, and planting and so on. If you'd like to find out more about green infrastructure and nature-based solutions, there's a great website called una.city where the Urban Nature Atlas is situated. It's a comprehensive database of over a thousand nature-based solutions from cities in Europe and other parts of the world that Claire pointed out to the podcast. Um, and of course, the recently posted Future Cities podcast that also discussed this topic, including the last one, which discusses these ideas from diverse perspectives in terms of professional disciplines. Yeah, there are some great case study examples, the UNA City dot, that people can take a look at 
to see what you know can be done at an individual scale. So looking at you know examples where people have regreened their their yard, or they might have installed a green roof or green wall at the side of their property or on the garage roof. So take a look. There's some really good examples there. Next one. So a lot of the definitions of green infrastructure and nature-based solutions are kind of from this expert perspective and situated within disciplines that work heavily with those topics. But what do those terms mean for a non-expert person who's not in these fields? What do these terms mean for non-experts? Green space is all around us and we don't have to think of it as a scientific concept. Nature-based solutions can be an opportunity for people to interact with nature in different ways. And often we consider the benefits that we receive from nature or that nature is providing to us. And so it can include things like the cooling that we get from trees or infiltration of stormwater, especially um, in cities where there's a lot of impervious surface and uh, we rely largely on drainage systems. Um, but it can also provide habitat to pollinators and increase biodiversity, as Claire said earlier. And so all of those are really important ways that we may not always think about and are kind of consciously aware of, but they're happening around us. And so they're really important for how we interact with nature. As experts in this field, we have this framing and terminology that, that we use to talk about the role of nature-based solutions. But what's really important is that we remember that everyday people may not necessarily be familiar with this terminology at the moment because it is so, so new. So from that perspective, it's really important to frame MBS in terms of existing terms and concepts that people will understand, taking it down to very basic level and talking about people's gardens, people's parks, you know, mm. their allotment, you know, how that might well have been adapted to help with stormwater management, how that might have been adapted to regulate temperature and improve air quality through plant or even rewilding through planting of native species to improve opportunities for pollinators insects, birds, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. For our non-British audience, could you define allotment? So an allotment is basically a patch of ground that is part of a an area where people grow their own fruit and vegetables. So if you think about a community garden where a number of different people would come along and, and do and grow food, an allotment would be a huge community garden that's got individual patches and plots of land for people to grow that they take responsibility for. Thanks, I appreciate that. So a lot of the examples that you've given, I think are really great ways to think about the way people interact with nature-based solutions in their everyday lives. How can thinking about these sort of everyday nature-based solutions that are kind of around our existence give a better sense of why nature-based solutions are useful at scale and green infrastructure projects are useful at scale. We often think of nature-based solutions and green infrastructure kind of at the city scale that can be useful for addressing urban resilience challenges, so addressing um, future heat stress or future flooding. 
And so at a larger scale, the green infrastructure can be implemented in order to help manage those different challenges in the future. But we can also have green infrastructure and nature-based solutions that are important for individuals in their own properties and or in their own communities and their own neighborhoods, such as parks, uh, which can be an important nature-based solution that is helpful just for the community in that surrounding area. And I think what Elizabeth has just said there is absolutely right. But I also think that in addition to that, individuals need to be aware that the actions that they take by engaging with nature-based solutions at their own property or at their local park or elsewhere also have a huge role to play in terms of helping cities realise the kind of sustainability transitions that we need to achieve to impact and mitigate against climate change. So what would you say are the key features of nature-based solutions and green infrastructure? So the key features of of nature-based solutions include the, the different types of ecology. So when we think about the different types of a green and blue space, that a nature-based solution might encompass. So that could be a park with a stormwater area. It could be a park that includes a, a green playground that children can interact with. It could be a communal pizza garden that also has some growing space for, for people. But it's all about how that nature-based solution has been designed to encourage society to engage with that infrastructure so that it is delivering and realizing the potential benefits from a host of different types of ecosystem services that may be provided whether that be you know opportunities for food growing whether that be you know through habitat creation or through also opportunities to kind of stimulate the economy through tourism and, and so forth. I think that's a great overview. And maybe just to say, kind of at the really big picture, nature-based solutions include, as you said, the ecology and the environmental aspects, and also some often, but not always include some design aspects. So some social component that is people have input their ideas into how it gets designed and engineered. And then there may also be some infrastructure that's involved in it. So nature-based solutions aren't always only nature, but they don't aren't always some kind of more hybrid component that has some engineered and some nature infrastructure together. It's actually a spectrum of different types of solutions. And that's really important too, because it's through those processes whereby we're trying to innovate both technically, either through process or a physical product like you know, installing a green wall or through trying to change social policy or societal behavior itself through by taking a systems approach that will will we be able to kind of realize the benefits of nature-based solutions? So on a like super tiny scale, like this hybrid discussion of some infrastructure and some nature involved to sort of solve a problem or provide some sort of service like there's a part 
on the side of my house that flood really badly. And so we installed like a drain to pipe water somewhere else and then planted a bunch of water loving plants there so that it wouldn't flood anymore and it would just absorb all the runoff, but in a better location through plastic piping. So that be this sort of hybrid type of thing that you're talking about, but literally just like on the corner of my house. It could be that, but it could also be another example might be where someone might think about how they would modify their space they might have in their garden or their, their yard to attract different birds, different insects. So, for example, being involved in a project recently that has been the citizen science project whereby the local community have been trained to go out on walks in what in rewilded areas in the local park to monitor uh, bats, swifts, track hedgehogs. But as part of that process, they've also been educated on the simple changes that they can make to the, their own garden to attract butterflies, to attract insects but also to install bat boxes and swift boxes to help improve the local populations of those particular birds and mammals. Those are both great examples of kind of the spectrum of semi-engineered or hybrid to more natural solutions or environmental focused, ecosystem focused solutions. And then there could be even an option of nature-based solution that's even more engineered than what you suggested, Charlyn, that's at the individual scale where Maybe in addition to the pipe draining water off of your house into an area with plants that are are capable of taking up a lot of that water, there's also a built-in infiltration system that uses engineering approaches to allow that water to infiltrate really efficiently and also remove the pollutants from the water as it moves through the the ground. So that's even slightly more engineered than you suggested. So just as again, just to, to, to highlight, there's that full spectrum of types of solutions that are considered nature-based solutions. Great. So we've already kind of touched on this particular view, Claire, but what are ways that individuals can interact with and support nature-based solutions in their spaces and communities that they have access to? Well, I think there are lots of ways in which people can interact with nature-based solutions, but I, I think one one of the key ways to do that is by getting involved in, in local community-driven projects. There are lots of community-driven projects, often either allotment sites or local parks. Been involved in a project recently that's been trying to help people that don't have a great deal of access to green space kind of transform their front garden or their their backyard through growing and increase the the biodiversity of that space as well, so that. There are opportunities out there and there's also a lot of willingness to try and upscale those programs across different communities, certainly within the ones that I've been working with. But I think one of the challenges with that is around access to to funding, but also how do the organisations that are coordinating that work, they're often heavily relying on volunteer time. So how do people kind of incorporate all of this great work on nature-based solutions within their everyday busy lives? You know, how do we try and galvanize that and support them to achieve the kind of action that that we need to mainstream nature-based solutions across our cities? I think that's a big, a big challenge for us. 
Another example is that nature-based solutions can, well, we often consider them at a city scale and maybe for example, street swales that can take in some of the stormwater runoff or street trees that help to cool sidewalks. They also can be implemented and considered at the individual scales we've been talking about, and especially in people's yards. And so people's yards are really their unique, or gardens, they're really unique little ecosystems that we have our own, often have our own control over, which means that we have the capacity to make some small decisions about how that space gets managed. And Think about how we can use it as a nature-based solution, even if that's, I mean, Charlene, you gave such a great example of your own yard of how we can increase the amount of infiltration that happens so that doesn't end up as um, floodwater that's damaging your house or running off into the stormwater system. And so those kinds of small solutions really can add up and have some collective benefits. And so thinking about how we can um, improve people's capacity to think about their yards as nature-based solutions or their own outdoor space as a nature-based solution is, is a useful way that individuals can interact. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just allowing a small part of the garden to kind of go wild, you know, not cutting back the grass and letting it seed go to seed, allowing you know, wildflowers to to grow in your borders, you know, those things can make such a big difference to local insect and and bird and bat populations and the interactions that happen within those ecosystems. I know I've done that in my own garden this, this year. And as a result of that, I've seen some, can't remember what they're called, but <laughs> I've seen some uh, the the brown hawker moth come into the garden we had three four of those and i've never seen before in the garden which was great over the summer that reminds me of no mow may i don't know if you're familiar with it but like the last few years we haven't mowed our lawn like through the entire month of may often parts of april too but it, the idea is it's a good point in the year to not mow your lawn and let wildflowers grow specifically to help the pollinators like bees and uh, we've been doing that and we do have a ton of bees and butterflies and stuff in our garden. It's just simple little changes like that that could make such a huge difference. If we all had a, a spot of our yard or our lawn garden that we let rewild, who knows what difference that could make to local biodiversity. So this year during the, the pandemic, Myself and um, a few colleagues did some work to look at the role that informal green spaces, so by informal green spaces, I mean kind of using your own concrete backyard to kind of grow your own food or to allow it to rewild and grow wildflowers, seed bombs, etc. The impact that that had on people's personal um, resilience during the pandemic and we found that those people that were able to access those spaces and actually you know went into their garden and, and did a bit of pottering around were much better able to manage the stress and anxiety associated with the pandemic compared with others that either not accessed green space at all or had accessed you know, only green space 
that other people had perhaps congregated in during the, the pandemic? We also did a similar study, a similar survey during the pandemic, where we found very similarly to Claire that um, when people had the opportunity to be outside, their subjective well-being was significantly higher than what they reported is their overall subjective well-being and, and that they also were finding new relationships with nature. And so I think that as Claire is saying, this really highlights the benefit of even just using your own outdoor space just outside of your front or back door, whether that's the street trees or if you have actual green space in a yard or a garden outside of your house or even potted plants on your front stoop really can make a, a big difference to people's well-being. And, and those are all nature-based solutions. And it's just one additional way that uh, nature-based solutions really are an essential part of, of the city. It's really interesting that you found that it made such a big difference during the pandemic. You mentioned like if you have an apartment, like you might not have as much agency over implementing a lot of green space and things like that. What are some other challenges of nature-based solutions that you've encountered in your work that might be of interest to anybody. So I think one of the challenges that I've encountered has been around talking about nature-based solutions to different community actors and to different residents who've been part of the projects that I've been involved with. I found that some of them don't necessarily understand what is a nature-based solution. And that's not surprising given how young the concept is compared to other concepts out there. But one thing that I found really, really helpful is to kind of talk about nature-based solutions in the context of you know, existing um, words that they might associate with nature and green space. So talking about their back alley that they want to regreen by installing planters or talking about their local park where there's a space that people want to rewild and create a wildflower meadow. So I found it quite helpful to try and think about how they would already be talking about green spaces in nature. I think another challenge, in addition to what Claire has just said, that but building on that is that people often think that nature-based solutions require some expertise in order to manage them. And and they do require management. That is absolutely necessary. Um, they won't continue to function in, in the ways that we want them to if we aren't putting in some effort to manage them. But they don't always necessarily require a ton of expertise, but it does require time and often resources that some communities or individuals may not have access to. And so thinking about ways to incentivize um, cities and communities or, or individuals also to, to be able to have the time and the resources to manage them in, in the way that they need to be managed is really important. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with that. And it's certainly my exp recent experience that without providing citizens in our communities with the right support in terms of provision of resources, whether that be compost, wildflower seeds, seeds for growing plants and vegetables, and also showing them how to do it. You know, many people may not, if they haven't grown anything before, won't know how to say, look after a tomato plant. But that doesn't mean to say they don't want to do it. Or they may, might not know how to, to make a back box and install a back box. 
So I think being able to provide people with the tools and resources to be able to take action to increase the coverage of nature-based solutions is really, really important. But it's going to be a big challenge for us going forward in terms of encouraging the kind of action that we need to see on a on a global scale, I guess. I would say maybe one other challenge is that we do um, have the idea that nature-based solutions, and we, we understand that nature-based solutions provide us a lot of multiple benefits or many different benefits, co-benefits, we sometimes say, um, but we don't necessarily have a great idea of how all of those benefits, what the synergies are when they're co-occurring. And so I think that we do need some more um, work and some more research into understanding how as individuals, if I'm, or if we're all implementing nature-based solutions in our own spaces, what does that add up to? And what do the synergies of all of those individual nature-based solutions or individual ideas kind of add up to in a, in a more that's exactly right. And I think also the, the disbenefits too, you know, where there is investment in, in nature-based solutions, how do we manage, you know, the perceptions around safety and crime associated with more dense vegetation coverage? You know, how do we manage public perceptions, concerns around, you know, okay, there could be increase of smoke from wildfires. How do we also manage challenges of marketization and gentrification that could occur as a result of investment in nature-based solutions, particularly in areas that don't have great access to, to green space? And the previous podcast covered some of those issues in quite a lot of detail, so we we won't go into too much of that now. But I think it's really important to um, to highlight and emphasise that you know we do also need to think about how we manage these challenges as well. It does sound like there are both a lot of challenges and also a lot of incentives to prioritising nature based solutions and making sure that they're better understood by the general public and more accessible um, to everybody. So what does moving forward or what can moving forward with nature-based solutions look like for anybody or for everybody? Well, I think that it's really important that we start to think about how nature all nature-based solutions delivered across all scales, whether they be large-scale city projects or neighborhood projects or you know, interregional projects all interact and are ultimately connected but also how we you know encourage citizens to take more action to create their own nature-based solutions and to help people realize that those nature-based solutions also make a an important contribution to what cities are trying to achieve overall how we do that in terms of mainstreaming nature-based solutions within our, our communities. I think there needs to be more awareness and communication campaigns to improve knowledge of nature-based solutions, but also talk about nature-based solutions to communities in language that they will understand. And then, you know, some of this isn't difficult to Cheese. So, for example, being able to kind of 
rewild or let a space in your garden go wild so that improves habitat for insects and birds. That's a really simple thing that you could do. Obviously, installing your own green roof on your garage roof or a green wall is a bit more difficult, but I think we need to educate society to encourage more local action on nature-based solutions. I think that's a great point, Claire. And, you know, the community buy-in and kind of understanding of nature-based solutions is really essential. And But it's also only one component of having access or ensuring access across an entire city, since there are many, many communities that don't have access to the green space. Um, and so I think community buy-in and, and educational programs and citizen science programs are, are really essential, but we also need some citywide changes or some change in governance and how nature or parks or green space is implemented in cities so that it's not only on the burden of the community to provide their own space and nature-based solutions but also there's some input from cities themselves and and that might come as in the form of incentives or tax incentives or other sorts of incentives from the city government that encourage people to implement nature-based solutions as an alternative to some other type of space that may be put into their neighborhood. I think we also need people that are well-known amongst society to to be champions for nature-based solutions. You know, we need our equivalent of David Attenborough and what he did with Blue Planet and, and raising awareness of the awful plastic pollution in our oceans and the huge global response that there was to that. We need to have an equivalent moment for, for nature-based solutions to encourage people to take more action within their own their own spaces if we're to, to achieve the kind of transitions to sustainability that, that we urgently need to need to address and take forward in our cities. So I think one of the other challenges around mainstreaming nature-based solutions is around funding. Um, one of the issues that I've come across recently is that a number of different organisations that we've been working with who are community-based desperately trying to improve communities, improve awareness of MBS and generally make people's lives better are all applying for the same pots of funding um, and these are the small pots of funding that have been cut because of austerity in the past as well so you know how we support those groups to help them enable more action on the ground within communities that need nature-based solutions I think that that is something that is a huge challenge for us and something that we need to give an awful lot of consideration to in terms of who we lobby to make sure that those organisations are getting the right financial support, both in terms of providing paid work opportunities for different community actors who know how to deliver this work, who want to share their skills and experience and mentor younger people, but they don't have the financial resources and the time that allows them to do that. So if we want further more action, we need to give, we need to provide support to those people and the organizations that they work for so that we 
can galvanize more action on the ground for implementing nature-based solutions. It's a great point about giving galvanizing on the ground support. And it also reminds me that we also need to galvanize support from practitioners and decision makers as well and ensure that they have buy-in and they're really um, excited about the multiple benefits that nature-based solutions can provide so that when funding is available at the city level, it can be used in that way towards nature-based solutions. Excellent. So are there any other comments or final thoughts that you have on this topic that we haven't really covered in our previous discussion? I don't think so, not for me. Um, any other projects or ongoing work that you think would be relevant to bring up and tell the audience about you know, so they can watch for recent updates down the line? So in addition to our podcast today, and we also have been writing a white paper and creating a an pictorial infographic that sets out more information about different types of nature-based solutions and what they are and the benefits and disbenefits that they, they bring. But also the white paper in particular talks about some of the challenges and, and opportunities that different practitioners and researchers, particularly early career people, feel that they may encounter in the years to come in terms of work on mainstreaming nature-based solutions. So if you'd like to follow this podcast up and learn more detail about that, you'll be able to access some of that on the Nature of Cities website. You're also very welcome to come along and join, join that network. And please don't hesitate to get in touch with us if you'd like to become involved. We're a great group of people and very friendly. Maybe just to add to that, if you'd like to learn more about nature-based solutions in your community, there are many great resources online. You could check out the Urban Nature Atlas, which is a comprehensive database, was mentioned at the beginning of over a thousand nature-based solutions from different cities around the world. That's at una.city. There is also the Natura Network of Networks that I mentioned at the beginning, and you can check that out at natura-net dot org n-a-t-u-r-a hyphen net dot org and find the network from your own local community that is closest to your own local community and see what they're doing there to learn more about nature-based solutions in your own in your own city excellent thank you so much for coming on and talking about this with me for everyone who is not as uh, stupid in this work thanks charlene for hosting us yes thanks charlene it was a pleasure Future Cities Podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by the Urban Resilience to Extremes Sustainability Research Network, or UREX as we usually refer to it. To learn more about UREX, visit www.sustainability.asu.edu forward slash urban resilience. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.